CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sun Joke All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sun Joke All. Very welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about this show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. And as always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter, hashtag CTR Live, and look for this show as hashtag Big Data and hashtag Security. Today's topic is Stronger Security with Big Data, and our guest for today's show is Derek Brink, who is a Vice President and Research Fellow of IT Security with the Aberdeen Group. Good morning, Derek. How are you? Hey, San Joe. It's, uh, I'm well, and, and thanks for having me on the show. Uh, great to have you uh, as a guest on our show. And now, today's show is actually the second part of a two-part series we are doing on big data and security. So last week, we touched on how the introduction of big data into the enterprise has made us more vulnerable in surprising ways. But the interesting idea that came out of that was, what if we could get the same insights out of big data that have helped make organizations find new value and apply them to make the enterprise even more secure? That said, uh, Derek, the first question would be, is that what specific enterprise-level security practices uh, that we are looking at, which are which can be fine-tuned or which are being fine-tuned over the years, and how can big data further add incremental value to it? Yeah, it's a great question, and it is a great topic. I look forward to our conversation today. I think I should really start out by, by mentioning that uh, there are some things that, you know, will change for sure, and there, there are also many things that, that, are, that stay the same. So let me start with the latter uh, First, talk about a couple things that are going to, you know, stay the same as they always have been. There are some fundamental things that, that will never change, I think, uh, with respect to uh, security. So, for example, uh, confidentiality is one. It's also called privacy, but making sure that uh, that sensitive data is accessible and intelligible only to the people that are authorized to see it or the systems that are authorized to see it. That that's one thing that'll never change. Integrity is another thing. Um, uh, that integrity refers to making sure that. The data is not altered, right? You, you, you don't want to have uh, um, uh, transactions uh, altered in, in, in terms of the, the, the quantities or values or that kind of thing. And, and the third one is availability. Uh, so to make sure that the data that we are talking about here is accessible to the authorized uh, persons or systems at, at the right time and from the desired location and from the desired device. So th- those three things, uh, confidentiality, integrity, and availability, they're often referred to by an acronym uh, CIA, and, and it's probably worth saying that uh, these days the availability aspect is, is often getting the highest priority. Uh, people want to have access to data from, you know, the device they want and where they want and so on. But in the context of big data, these things aren't going to change at all. But there are some things that will change, so let me just mention those. One of the biggest challenges for big data, and by the way, I'm sure you defined it last week, but I'll just mention that what it implies is a, a growing number of sources and a wide variety of data types and it's a faster flow of information. Uh, th- this makes that any time, any place, and any device dynamic uh, even more challenging. Uh, for, so, for example, most of your listeners, I'm sure, can appreciate that when we think about back-end systems, that no longer refers necessarily to the networks and hosts and storage and applications that are within the enterprise uh, server rooms or the data centers. It, it also means the virtualized infrastructure and, and you know, in the cloud and, and that kind of thing. And the networks, uh, by the same token, no longer means uh, just connections uh, 
and protocols between systems. It, it also refers to social connections and collaboration between people. I'm sure you talked about that last week. And, and finally, the, the endpoints that we have to deal with no longer refer just to devices that are centrally you know, purchased and provisioned and managed by the enterprise IT function. It also refers now, of course, to the distributed and highly mobile devices that we all use, and, and these are ones that we buy and provision and essentially manage by ourselves, the so-called uh, bring-your-own-device or BYOD phenomena. So all this confidential information and intellectual property that lives among the, the big data is, is just likely to be flowing from systems that, uh, that the organization doesn't control through networks that it doesn't control to endpoints and end users that it doesn't control. And so, so that's why I was saying that these privacy and security issues are the same as they've always been, but these changes in the underlying infrastructure is really a lot more complex, and that's what makes the challenge of security a lot more difficult. Now, you did mention that, okay, the security could uh, further get, um, or let me let me pull back. The way we are approaching this is we are saying that big data could be a problem and big data can also be used for a solution. But we are not, as an enterprise, looking for a zero-sum game, right? So we are saying, okay, big data we could, could create value, and that uh, that may be the case for some organizations, so that's why they will adopt it, and they'll try to use it, and which may introduce security vulnerabilities, which is what we discussed last week. Now comes the point here where we say, okay, perhaps we may not go on the jump on the big data bandwagon for creating business value, but perhaps we can just tell the security folks to say, hey, you got this new tool. Can we use that to make our fort more secure so that we are creating more confidence uh, in the eyes of our consumers or customers? Yep. So so we, are, are people only touching a big data as a way to improve security when they've already uh, adopted big data for revenue generation and other positive top-line growth initiatives, uh, no, or you are allowed? Not necessarily, but um, they, they definitely are taking advantage of that uh, uh, more and more, and uh, let, let me give you um, uh, an example of, of how that works. I think it's a, a metaphor, really, but I, I um, you know, I, I guess I wrote about this in, in a blog. But I don't know if, if you or any of your listeners enjoyed the uh, the show on the History Channel. It's a, a series called The Vikings, and I really enjoyed it. And you might have noticed that there's a frequent appearance of ravens in the in the fabric of those stories. And and I looked into that. It turns out that the uh, the chief of the Norse gods uh, is called Odin, and he rules from uh, his high throne, and he can see everything that's happening on the nine worlds of Viking mythology. So every day, these Vi- these uh, these these ravens uh, fly all over the human world, and they bring Odin information. Uh, his two ravens are called uh, Memory and Thought. That, those are the names. So, he, essentially, think about this as a metaphor. He's established complete situational awareness, uh, which is the language that we use in public safety, or if you if you prefer. Homeland Security language would call that total domain awareness, or in security we would call that actionable intelligence. So he's got these ravens called memory and thought that bring him this information, and really that's the cue that we've taken from mythology of uh, 1,500 years ago. So leading companies today are, are in fact seeking this ability to transform this, these massive volumes of security-related data into useful and, quote, actionable, end quote, information and intelligence. So there's lots of use cases for that. Uh, one, one leading example would be in security, and of course others could be in, in the area of fighting fraud or waste and abuse. You could find it in the area of public safety and and so on. And, and there's a reason why, I just mentioned this uh, too, that as we've talked about the community and infrastructure getting more complex and, and at the same time it's more mission critical, so companies are, are realizing that their traditional strategy of trying to uh, prevent uh, things from happening cannot be successful 100% of the time, and so they're looking to augment that approach, not replace it, but augment it. Um, and, and so the, 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 the use of uh, data 
uh, even so today, has been primarily reactive and forensic. So we're trying to investigate what's happened and why. But what we're talking about today, I think, is this movement towards a more real-time and predictive type of capability. So we're talking here about the ability to identify and contain and respond more quickly to things that aren't normal. So again, back to that silly analogy, I guess, but just the way that Odin was using memory and thought to generate the visibility and insight for the purposes of taking action on, on Middle Earth, uh, the, the leading enterprises today are in fact already starting to capture and integrate this kind of data and then analyzing it and getting insights from it and ultimately to you know take action. So I think that's exactly the, 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 the point of the arrow in terms of how this data can be used. And we do see many examples of it right now. Now, you refer to quite a few progressive organizations who, first of all, may have adopted big data and subsequently used that as an opportunity to also improve security, right? So if you were to inventory specific areas in which big data could be utilized to improve security and not just because you've got more data, you've got more insight, that doesn't improve security just by, by, by itself. There has to be some more interpretation, some manifestation, some, some specific changes in the way people, policy, pocketbooks, et cetera, et cetera, have to be tweaked in order for security to really be seen incrementally improved. What yeah. are those? Well, I, again, I, I just want to make sure we, we um, underscore the foundational point here, which is that this traditional approach to security, which is largely oriented around the idea of prevention, is, is really slowly, but very perceptibly in the research that, that I do, being augmented with this increasing focus on, on detection and response. And we have to keep in mind that attackers have the advantage here of asymmetry, and that is that the preventive measures that we put in place, um, um, the defenders, that you know, we put these preventive measures in place, they, they can't succeed 100% of the time, and attackers only have to succeed once. So uh, what we see in, in companies and, and solution providers, uh, both they're, they're strongly promoting this notion of operating under an assumption that you're already compromised, and that's another way to express um, how many enterprises are evolving their traditional approach. So but what I've seen, is, is, I think I alluded to it a little bit already, is that what's, what's uh, changing quite a bit uh, right now is the nature of the detection and response capabilities. The, the shift that's underway is, is, is more from this reactive approach, meaning mostly, okay, we, we had a break-in, let's, let's go in and investigate log files and, and see if we can figure out what happened. That's responding to and recovering from things that have already taken place, moving towards this more proactive approach, which is the ideal, uh, which is to monitor and detect and, and contain attacks uh, earlier in their life cycle. So it's, it's about this idea of moving from this backwards-looking forensic mode to establishing a baseline for what's normal and then detecting and responding to what's not normal in this more forward-looking and proactive way. So the different tactics that you uh, just explained and or different places where there's an opportunity, to what degree have these been are being tried, and what kind of results are we getting, uh, you know, by, 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 and, and it, there's some data which can be utilized to say, yes, by deploying this mechanism, we reduced our threats and or uh, vulnerabilities by X percentage. Yeah, but so you're asking for some, some examples. I think that the best examples can actually be the, the opportunities uh, that, that present. I'll give you some facts. Uh, uh, just for example, though, let me, let me make sure we, we establish uh, a definition of what the, uh, a typical attacker's life cycle might look like. So attackers, the, the first thing they, they tend to do, uh, this is very you know, general and high level, but attackers are looking to identify vulnerabilities in the infrastructure. They're doing reconnaissance on the target organizations, networks, and, and systems. Once they find those vulnerabilities, they're looking to implement and execute those exploits uh, to the vulnerabilities. They can use a variety of forms. It could be 
uh, you know, drive-by download on a, on a website that's infected. It could be uh, social engineering through uh, phishing and attachments. It could be a number of things. Uh, and, and, and sometimes the attackers are able to automate the exploits to, to run at scale. So, uh, and, and additionally, uh, they also have the ability through their command and control uh, communications to modify the exploits over time. So even as the organization happens to identify and eliminate some of the underlying vulnerabilities, they can maybe stay one step ahead. So th- this is, you know, just think about the, the so-called era that we're in now of advanced persistent threats. And we have to keep in mind that these, uh, these life cycles are being designed to be imperceptible and they might be carried out over a period of weeks or months or even years. So I'll give you some examples. Um, there, there's a report by the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners. Uh, they, they actually looked at uh, cases, actual cases, and you know, sort of dissected those cases of actual fraud. This is uh, 2012. And the median time to detection was about 18 months, and the range was between one and three years. So this is how long fraud was being carried out before it was detected. So imagine the opportunity to reduce that time to detect from an average of 18 months to less than that. You can obviously, it has a significant impact on, on our dollars. Uh, there's a high-tech company called Mandiant who specializes in, in monitoring and so on and advanced persisting threats. And they had a report earlier this year on, on one of China's uh, cyber espionage units. And what they found was that this particular uh, espionage unit, uh, they call it APT-1, I had access to the victim networks for an average of uh, nearly a year. I think it was just under uh, 365 days, and for as long as four years and ten months. So that's how long the uh, presence on the uh, on the victim networks was uh, there without being detected. And Verizon Business is another uh, annual uh, study that comes out, and they also analyze actual case uh, uh, files uh, globally uh, from actual data breaches. And what they find that was that the time to an initial compromise is. 84% was within just hours. Uh, the time from compromise to beginning to exfiltrate data was also within hours. 69% was within hours. But then from compromise to being discovered, it was uh, 68% of, of all the cases they analyzed was months or longer. And from discovery to containment, uh, it was 77%. There was days to longer. So I hope you get the idea that being able to find and detect and contain and remediate these things much earlier in that life cycle has some uh, serious potential in terms of reducing the, the monetary uh, uh, impact of, of this kind of attacks, these kind of data losses, and this kind of fraud. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And, uh, Derek, as you mentioned, that thieves are ahead of the cops. That is, hackers always uh, have an edge, and that's why they're able to hack and, and you know, create problems. Well, you've got big data, and enterprises can leverage them to perhaps say, okay, I have been able to identify much earlier. But then it's a level playing field where the hackers, for the most part, look like they're well-funded, and they can also deploy big data to again get an edge over you, or is that not going to be the case? Are we going to, for once, come at the same level as that expertise and intelligence those hackers demonstrate in terms of getting into our network and creating problems? What is the horizon looking like with uh, introduction of big data into enterprises, and what is the opportunity here? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back and explore. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. Wait. 
Is that your pager? There's nostalgic, and then there's completely irrelevant, like having a hardware-heavy business phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations in minutes and manage the entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that 20th century phone system out of your 21st century business. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. The switchboards and Rolodexes are gone, and so is the need for a hardware-heavy phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations with voice, text, conferencing, even Salesforce integration, and manage your entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that ancient phone system out of your modern office and off your bottom line. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sun Joke All. Welcome back. So the question is, is big data going to help create a level playing field between the hackers and enterprises, or they will still have an edge because they're also well-funded? I'm, I'm referring to the hackers. Well, um, I, I think that one advantage that we we have with our with our own a, a, access to, to big data is we have we have clear access to, to to all of it. We we you know we have to implement proper policies for access and so on. But but uh, you know the hackers and attackers have to uh, uh, find it when they can get it, and and uh, so we we do have that advantage. The other advantage we have, of course, is the operational knowledge of of uh, of our enterprise and how it works. So. Uh, of course, that can be studied and and, uh, and and learned and gained to some extent by attackers. But we have the advantage on on uh, what what is normal and what's not normal. I keep using those words, but that's a, a big part of what it means to leverage uh, uh, big data. And so that's an advantage uh, that we have. Should we choose to use it uh, in in that way? So, so would you would you say that the people who are getting, uh, you know, at least they they are seeing what the value big data can uh, bring to the enterprise? Are they now required to make a very, you know, solid business case as with any other investment? Or people are already seeing, or the executive management and other people who hold the pocketbooks are already seeing the value, and they're readily doling out cash in order for it to be implemented and and to make this fort more secure. Well, you know, I, I say this almost tongue in cheek, but it's, there's actually a lot of truth in it. That, that a lot of times when the checks are being written and the cash is being doled out is actually just you know the the day after there's been some kind of incident, and that's a, that's a sad thing. That we as security people really should learn, and I think we're trying hard to learn how to make a better uh, case and align you know our, our views on on risk and how to mitigate risks uh, with the business. But the, the fact is, look, let's be honest here. The, the fact is that whether or not these tools should be applied to security um, or, or other areas of business is, is not the uh, the question. I, I, I believe it should. 
and I do believe it, it, it can and is helping in many, you know, existing uh, examples. But it really is a question of what are the priorities of the business for leveraging the data and the tools. And, and, and so uh, here, I, look, to illustrate, I'll give you an example. I, I can look at the uh, titles of uh, topics that some of my colleagues here at Aberdeen Group have written, and uh, I picked some just at, at almost at random, but in the retail research practice, right? So they're focused on research. And if you just look at the last dozen or so publications, here's the words and the phrases that are in the titles, which tells you what you know they're writing about, which tells you what those folks are interested in. Reductions in inventory holding costs, uh, enhancements to business intelligence, customer intelligence and engagement, uh, store-level workforce management, uh, revenue growth through early insight, uh, increasing traffic and volume and profits, reaching new customers, driving responsiveness to customers, collaborating in the supply chain, uh, social media marketing and return on investment, customer loyalty, uh, visibility of inventory, uh, lowering the cost to serve. These are the titles and the topics, therefore, that are of interest to uh, folks in the retail area, just for one example. And I don't think one of them really talks so much about security. So they do care about security. They care about shrinkage. They care about protecting information. They care about all those other things. But what's really top of mind is revenue and cost. And I think that's one of our, our challenges here. It's just simply not compliance and security. It's just not as high on the list of priorities as these other topics. So it is one of the challenges that we have to uh, deal with. I, I think it's a tool that can be used, but it's not necessarily being used to, uh, first for these things because those other things are are perhaps uh, viewed as as more strategic and rewarded types of uh, uses for for uh, for big data. Do you think uh, CIO and the CISOs within an organization could partner and squeeze some funds out of the other revenue generating opportunities and funnel that into the security? Because frankly, both will be dinged in case you create great value for the business, but at the same time also show that there have been instances where there was a leakage of revenue as well? Well, I think you're back to the very important point, which is how do, how do we make a case as security professionals that, uh, that there's some uh, threats and there's vulnerabilities that, that we are exposed to. Um, uh, we have to talk about how those vulnerabilities could lead to bad outcomes. We need to do a better job of talking about the probability of, of those exploits being uh, carried out successfully. And we do need to do a much better job of, of trying to quantify the magnitude of, of what those uh, impacts could be. So I'll just give you a quick example. It's, it's simple. Anybody could do this math. It's really just back of the envelope. But if you had some process or let's say it's a website or a process, and let's say to make the numbers easy that it, it generates $10 million in a year, and that that's continuous. Now, what if that, what if that uh, website or process was down? You can calculate just on the simple assumption that it's a continuous generation of, of revenue throughout that year and that if you lose a revenue because of some kind of outage, um, that it's, it's lost. You can't, you can't regain it. Well, that works out to be about $1,100 per hour. Uh, so $1,100 per hour is for every $10 million in revenue is, is kind of a you know, back-of-the-envelope uh, uh, number. Now, it, it doesn't matter why the, the website or the process is down. It could be a power outage uh, or it could be uh, a security uh, breach. But if it's down, um, you're not generating revenue, you're not serving your customers, you're not carrying out the objectives of the business. So being able to relate to just simply to, to things like that, uh, that, that, that's what matters more to the, to the financial aspects and the strategic aspects of, of making the case for security. It, it's not the, if we focus too much on the, on the bogeyman, I think uh, we, you know, we lose. Uh, eyes glaze over when we do that. And it, th- those are 
vulnerabilities and threats, we need to start talking about the risks and the magnitudes and the probabilities. So coming back to my the question, and thank you for this uh, great answer. Now, my, the question is to say if we are going to keep living that stepchild syndrome, then we will never get to show the value. Do you think there are ways by which us not try to uh, even create a business case for introducing big data into security and thus get more money? Instead, bundle it in other initiatives so that this actually gets done and we are not... Because if you try to go and explain this to people above, uh, you know, and then the executive management, they would really not care one way or the other, but you will really get penalized if there is a security hole and you know that you have an opportunity to plug it. So why why even bother? Well, I, I think to, to try to answer what I think is your question, I, I, the the, uh, the platforms and the tools that may be brought into the company from the solution providers, so the, the vendors are providing tools that can be used in that flexible way. So the same tools, the same business intelligence, the same analytical capabilities, all those uh, tools can be applied to um, analyzing customer uh, data to, to improve, uh, you know, the cost to serve and, and things that we discussed before. It can also be used, the same tools could be used with different data to, to understand the, uh, the what's normal and what looks like it's abnormal in the, in the context of, of security and potential threats and vulnerabilities being exploited. So absolutely, I think the, the leverage of those same tools, however the, the, they come into the, the tent, so to speak, uh, is fantastic. And it's up to the security teams to you know make the case to get some access to those tools and, and also to integrate the, the data that's relevant to them um, to help with that. And that, that's an important question, by the way. The, the integration of data is, is interesting. What, what I found in my own research is that uh, companies have very naturally, and this I think dovetails with the previous point, they've integrated a, a, a wide number of data sources. I have a colleague uh, who uh, specializes in business intelligence. He says the average is about 15 different sources, but that's growing very fast. But what, what I've seen in terms of uh, the percentage, you know, w- w- which data sources are most likely to be integrated, it tends to be you know internal sources and also customer-focused sources. So things like actual transactions, customer records, the product records, uh, customer interactions, maybe notes from call centers and things like that. Those are the things that tend to be most uh, uh, first to be implemented and, and, and most uh, um, commonly implemented by, by most companies. Over time, you see a lot of intent uh, to integrate other things, external sources, customer behavior, uh, unstructured data, customer sentiment, feelings, uh, survey results, uh, uh, social media uh, data, clickstream data, all those other things are integrated to a lower extent uh, right now, but uh, plan to be integrated to a much higher extent. So integrating the security-related data, I think, is uh, is definitely possible in these same tools, which I I think was your original question, but um, it it needs to... to, uh, to, to be you know planned and the case needs to be made for that but the tools are the same and once they're in uh, it should be able to be used a lot easier than making the case from a blank sheet of paper so ciso as a, a leader a security leader what is it that they would or should be changing within their organization what kind of benchmarks and 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 standards that they should reestablish for their team and perhaps for the rest of the organization given that they have this newfound insight or an ability to get the newfound insight available through this big data? Well, well you mentioned the team, and maybe I'll just pick up on that part of it uh, for, for my response. Uh, I, I think that uh, traditional security people might not have the, the background that they need um, to, uh, to, to communicate properly, or maybe I should say it this way. They, they have tended historic to fo- historically to focus on 
the uh, I guess the negative aspects of these are the things that could go wrong. These are the threats and vulnerabilities. And it's almost a, here's another analogy that I, I, you might get tired of these by the end of our discussion today. But if if you've seen the movie A Few Good Men and you remember uh, Jack Nicholson when he's on the stand at the very end as the general from Guantanamo Bay and. Right after he says, you can't handle the truth, he, he gives a little soliloquy. And he, he, if you remember, he, he says things like, uh, you know, deep down in places you don't like to talk about at parties, you, you want me on that wall, you need me on that wall, and so on. And, and what he's expressing is, I think, very similar to what a lot of security people think. They, they, they feel that they're uh, uh, passionate about protecting the organization that they work for. They feel that they might be misunderstood and underappreciated. But they, they need to do a better job of communicating the value that they that they bring, and that might mean that the, the, the folks need to change. We might need to mix in some other aspects to the team. If you're going to talk about responding quickly to incidents as you see them unfolding in real time and being more proactive, as we were talking about, you need not only the technical skills, but you need to have that operational knowledge that we talked about. How does a business work? How does it run? What does normal look like? We need to be able to communicate effectively, both verbally and, and in writing need to command respect across the organization. You need to remain calm under pressure because some of these incidents can, can uh, be, again, again, unfolding in real time. So that composition of security teams uh, is, is maybe where, uh, um, you know, as opposed, is probably more relevant to a larger company where, where this is really happening first as opposed to a smaller company that has just some guy named Mike who handles everything from administration to security and so on. So this, uh, this final point is that responding to, to these types of uh, 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 changes, changing needs with uh, uh, changing skill sets, is, I, I think, is uh, what some of the leading companies are doing right now. Uh, let's take a quick break, listeners. So we'll be right back, and we'll continue this conversation around leadership and people. So uh, Derek just mentioned about these people have to become better at understanding the business and correspondingly uh, show that they really can create value. How... Uh, I mean, forever, we have always seen security as a cost. Do you think if big data was infused with security, can this become cost of doing business? Is that at all a possibility? And if yes, then how? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. The switchboards and Rolodexes are gone, and so is the need for a hardware-heavy phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations with voice, text, conferencing, even Salesforce integration. And manage your entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that ancient phone system out of your modern office and off your bottom line. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. Wait, is that your pager? There's nostalgic, and then there's completely irrelevant. 
like having a hardware-heavy business phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations in minutes and manage the entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that 20th century phone system out of your 21st century business. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, uh, in short, do you think security can ever be shown as a cost of doing business and, and morphing it from just be seen always as a cost? Yes. Yeah, so, th- this is a question that has uh, kept me uh, busy thinking for um, 15 years, I would say, literally. I, <laughs> I, I started thinking about That's this as time. a product manager. Uh, I worked for RSA Security way back in, in, in those days. and. And it's been on my mind ever since. And I, I've, what I've found is there's only, when you talk about business value of, of security, I've only found four major uh, buckets, at, you know, at a super high level that, that you can uh, assert business value for security. I'll just list them real quickly here. The, the first one would, would be uh, in the area of, of risk. So, so for example, if you, if you say we, we've assessed our, our systems and the vulnerabilities and threats and and what, 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 we've, uh, what we believe is that there's a, you know, an X percent probability that there could be some, uh, some exploit that costs us uh, uh, greater than, than, you know, Y millions of dollars. And so that's a, that's a way to phrase it. So that's a, it's, it's phrased in a, in, a, in a risk sort of format so business decision makers can, can decide what's their appetite for risk. And, and you can say, and I recommend that if we use the following controls, we can reduce that probability or reduce that impact. And, and so that's, you know, a classical way. But that's seen as a cost, as you were saying. And another thing, and very closely related to that, is compliance. It's sort of the, well, we're required to do this by law. There's regulatory from the government. There's regulatory requirements from industry. There's other types of compliance as well. But, you know, compliance and security are kind of both sides of the same coin, kind of that unrewarded sort of investment area. On the other side of the coin, there's what business people are more prone to listen to, uh, which has to do with either cost or or, um, or or revenue. On the cost side, you can certainly uh, do currently, uh, you know, the things that you're doing currently and spending dollars on already. If you can make them more efficient uh, by by uh, you know maybe automating some of these aspects of security, so that that counts. I mean, you can say we've decided we've made the case already to do uh, a such and such a thing in in our in our security and compliance, but. Now we're going to do it uh, at higher scale and lower cost. Well, that's a win. So you can save money for the organization that way. There's there's also this notion of cost avoided, which is a little tough. So if you have uh, 5% uh, fraud and through better security and invisibility and trying to detect things sooner, you can, let's say, cut that in half, then I think that gets uh, to the credit of the investment as well. So that cost avoidance versus cost savings are uh, maybe that's a, a nuance, but I, I think it's a legitimate. And ultimately, if you can get to the... Uh, to the revenue side, if you can say, look, we want to implement uh, these new capabilities, and, and these are rewarded risks that business leaders take all the time. We want to gain new customers. We want to enter new markets. We want to capture new revenue streams. But there's some risk to that, and by implementing these security uh, capabilities, we can uh, reduce that risk and, and, and have uh, 
have us feel uh, better about moving ahead um, uh, with those initiatives to generate revenue, then I, I think, you know, aligning and, and kind of getting grouped in with those, maybe that's what you were alluding to before, that's a, a, not a trick, but it's, a, it's the right thing to do for the security capabilities because they're part of enabling those, uh, those positive business benefits that, uh, that uh, are the rewarded uh, risks that the company wants to take. So if you were to look at the way security all along has been handled and now the big data has been introduced, has that at all, uh, or would you say fundamentally changed the way even the security leaders are looking at security? Or they are saying that, okay, this is just a tool, or this is more of an aid, but it doesn't fundamentally change how I diagnose, how do I proactively uh, find out what's going on, and how do I plug the holes? Well, I, I do think it changes a lot of things. Like so, so that, and I'll just say again, I'm I'm, I'm not saying no one should uh, take away that I, I'm saying that there, there's a reduction in the amount of um, uh, prevention-oriented controls because uh, those are still in place, but those controls are being augmented by these detection and response sort of capabilities. So, so what's different to, to you know between putting things in place to prevent versus being able to detect and evaluate threats with greater speed and and acting on them, uh, there are some fundamental practices that have to change. And I'll just list a few of them. So, so you need to keep current. The team has to keep current. That is about the latest attacks and techniques. They can do that on their own. They can do that through subscribing to external threat intelligence. There's a number of ways to do that. They need to have strategies for response in advance, maybe for a range of scenarios. If something happens, we would do this. Maybe we would segment the network immediately to to uh, reduce the uh, scope of of the threat and so on. You need to have a way to classify incidents and handle them so there's a triage effectively that can go on to speed the process of getting the right resources in place to deal with the problem. Probably have to have an incident tracking system. Maybe you use the tracking system that you already have in your customer support team. Maybe it's different. You have to assess severity, so how urgent is this? You have to assess scope, what kind of resources are affected and how valuable are those. You have to be able to communicate so there's a dissemination of information. Uh, is there a need-to-know kind of uh, a situation that needs to be followed, especially in these time-sensitive scenarios? All, all those skills need to be put in place. I have probably three or four others if you, if you want. Uh, you need to coordinate uh, like crazy with other business functions, so the executives, the legal team, the operations team, maybe physical security, maybe human resources, press and analysts in case you need to, you know, it goes public and you need to communicate publicly. Uh, you might have outsourced experts that you bring in. You might need to work with your vendors. There might be third-party response teams that are also involved, and, and on and on. Law enforcement, by the way. Uh, they, they, do you have an escalation plan uh, based on the severity of the incident? And, and so on and so on. So all, all those things are skills that might not be so much in place uh, uh, under this new um, augmented detect and respond uh, strategy, but they certainly need to be in place uh, um, if you're going to be effective. You you brought up a very important point about the skill mix that was originally not present, and now it is required for you to be able to leverage big data and make it happen. Number one, we have a budget constraint, and that would prevent that from happening immediately. That means you might be required to go to those existing resources who might have been identified and deployed for value creation or top-line growth-related initiative. And if at all we go that route, Number one, you got diluted attention. Number two, you are now making security and its effectiveness dependent on external people who then are not being monitored and are controlled by the CISOs. They are at most being influenced by this security division. Where does this take us? Well, there's a couple ways to think about it. You, you sort of painted a bleak picture of it, but I, I, would, I would say there's the alternative view, which is that if you involve other 
uh, people in sort of a virtual response team um, because of their expertise and because of their operational knowledge, because of their access to you know, certain information or what have you. Uh, I think if done right, you can actually widen the buy-in and widen the support and get more uh, parts of the company kind of rowing in the same direction as as you'd like to get them to row because, in, in, you know, frankly, the planning and upfront preparation is one thing, but in, in time of crisis, if you've already have the relationships in place and sort of have worked out some of these things, then I think the company and, and as a whole will be much better off. Now, that's just assessing the internal side of things, but uh, if, if you're talking about involving external expertise and at some point you escalate and maybe you have on retainer some kind of uh, expert, uh, expertise from a third party, uh, all the better because those those folks are are specialized and focused on these precise things, whereas inside the company you may not be. So that might be a good case where the uh, the outsourcing uh, strategy to supplement the team in the time of crisis is uh, is, is exactly what's needed. So I, I think you know personally I, I take the the more positive view than than what you painted, but uh, I, I suppose in, like anything and. In any project, not just security, uh, companies can implement it badly, <laughs> or they can implement it well. And uh, I, I guess I'd rather focus on the the idea of implementing it well. So I agree with you that there would be a possibility of us looking at a positive view. I'm I'm more concerned, and that's why I voiced that concern. Is in reality when somebody is being measured and evaluated for creating insights for. Uh, top line growth, and they truly are not primarily known or, or identified as someone who's going to work as part of the threat response. And the timeliness of that uh, is not truly a benchmark or a measure that they are, are supposed to adhere to. Then effectiveness of your security is is not known and or you cannot really control it. Would you well, agree? You, you make a, a point that is just a, you know, a, a point that's valid for all projects, for all humans in every company everywhere. If you're not Directly measured on it, then maybe you might deprioritize that. I think that's the point that you're making, and and and, you're, and I can't argue with that. Those, those things can happen. I've seen them happen. I, I, we can all probably you and I both, and every listener can think of our own experiences and our organizations and say, yeah, I can give you four examples of where where that took place. But the leadership that needs to happen is is what uh, overcomes that. And I don't know what else to say except that's the uh, the transition that the. Uh, uh, Colonel Jessup's, like in, I was mentioning, and, and a few good men. The movie played, you know, played by uh, Jack Nicholson. Uh, Colonel Jessup's need to change their way of doing, doing business. They can't just uh, order the code red and, and have things happen. They need to work more collaboratively with other functions. And those are different skills for the leadership as well as for the lower level hands-on uh, people. So that transition has to happen. I, I hope it happens by by uh, uh, self-selection and, and people who who have those skills can can mold and, and move into these roles. Uh, so, some, in some cases, it might be that the old guard has to you know, move on and the new guard has to come in, 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 in order for change to really occur. So if you were to look across the board and see different organizations who may have partially uh, applied a big data towards improving security and or some people are on the fence and others have tried and, and they are already deep down with it and, and basically are, are using it full throttle. What are the true results? What is it that what empirical data has been generated for it to create a strong or a bleaker case? Well, I've, I've, I've uh, given you some example. When, when we, when we uh, do the, the benchmarking style of research that we use here at Aberdeen, I hate to make this about my own research, but to, since you asked, um, we're asking questions of organizations, and, and instead of just reporting, because a lot of people do surveys, right, instead of just giving an answer, um, this is, you know, such and such a percent said, said this, we, we actually have a technique where we um, kind of separate the, 
uh, respondents into those who had relatively better results than the others and those who had relatively worse results than the others. Uh, it's kind of a bell-shaped curve almost. We create a, you know, a, a leader's class and a laggard's class, and in between there's kind of an average uh, class. And then we can compare those classes. So all that by way of just telling you how, how we do it. So the difference between the leaders and the laggards, uh, as found through my own work, is that the leaders are, in fact, able to uh, detect and, and contain uh, attacks, let's call them attacks, uh, earlier in the attack life cycle. So, so they're, they're quantitatively... Uh, uh, showing um, that they're able to uh, uh, detect and respond, contain, and shut down these attacks uh, earlier in that cycle that I was telling you about, from reconnaissance to to uh, exploit to exfiltration and so on. Uh, that that's a big benefit. If you're able to close that window of vulnerability uh, sooner, uh, you you, you uh, not only of course are, are are less exposed for a shorter period of time, but you also have the benefit of uh, you know shutting down whatever. Uh, uh, data loss or data exposure there was of uh, of uh, eliminating the downtime that might be a result of these kind of attacks and and so on. So the, the, that's where the the quantitative difference between you know best performance and and sort of you know beginners or worst performance would would come in. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back, and then let's look at actual solutions that are being offered from the different providers, and we don't really necessarily have to name the providers, but what are the different flavors that are being offered, how effective do they look like, and to what degree there is a reliance on external vendor solutions or are organizations finding their own uh, homegrown solutions to be a better fit for their unique needs. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back and explore. Wait. Is that your pager? There's nostalgic, and then there's completely irrelevant, like having a hardware-heavy business phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations in minutes and manage the entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that 20th century phone system out of your 21st century business. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. The switchboards and Rolodexes are gone, and so is the need for a hardware-heavy phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations with voice, text, conferencing, even Salesforce integration, and manage your entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that ancient phone system out of your modern office and off your bottom line. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. 
To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sun Joke All. Welcome back. So, of course, you know, uh, provider community, which is the vendors, they always look at an opportunity which will help them make a ton of money. And, of course, they would like to put out solutions which would promise uh, the moon. In many cases, in other cases, they are more realistic or they are point solutions. So if you were to evaluate or give a synopsis of what do you see is the state of vendor solutions that are available and to what degree are they uh, are true to the claim that they're making in terms of helping actually security with infusion of big data? Yeah, I'm glad to respond to that. I will say as a disclaimer that at Aberdeen we don't really rank vendors or perhaps, you know, any kind of magic quadrants or things like you might see from other analyst firms. But but I will say that it just in terms of general categories, that when I remember I was telling the audience before about the leaders versus the laggards, kind of that differentiation that we're able to do in our style of research, where there's there's certain technologies that are very clearly correlated with the leaders uh, as opposed to the lag. The leaders are much more likely to have deployed these than the laggards. So they include things like, uh, well, we're talking about proactive and detection-oriented products and services, so I, I would include things like uh, network vulnerability scanning or application vulnerability scanning, right, just periodically scanning uh, for, for vulnerabilities, uh, uh, external threat intelligence and subscribing to that kind of information so you're smarter about what the threats and vulnerabilities could be. Um, uh, Around-the-clock security monitoring, so you're having that real-time a sense of what's normal and what's not normal. And then we've talked, of course, about the uh, the platforms that, that can uh, integrate uh, intelligence from multiple sources and, and you know, basically integrate and uh, create that big data repository, but then also give you the analytical platform that you can use to try to find the information and, uh, and communicate and share the information. And, and also, by the way, the, the, the use of third-party incident response teams when there is uh, trouble is an example of... Uh, uh, vendor solutions that are uh, more correlated with the, the top performers. So that, that's kind of a, a quick answer. I, I would also want to say one other thing, and, and that is, uh, in more general terms, if you uh, if you were to just think about, and maybe as a listener, you could kind of do this exercise in your own mind. Um, if, if you think about all the security controls that you have in place at your organization, and then remember that security controls doesn't only mean technology. Controls. It also means administrative controls. It might mean physical controls. But if you think about those, you kind of make a catalog of, of those, and maybe list those along the the, the rows of the, the list that you're making. Along the columns, you could also split it into two uh, uh, simple. Uh, column A would be the, the the controls that are more oriented to uh, to prevent or deter things from happening. You know, to to to, to prevent uh, an incident from taking place. And the other ones would be on the other side, which would be to after an incident has taken place to uh, detect it, contain it, and respond, and sort of remediate and reestablish things back to the way they should be. I I think what you'd find is that most of the implementations uh, currently are on the prevent side of the ledger, and that um, the the growth um, in things on the um, detect and respond side of the ledger is is nascent. uh, It is growing. There's many examples of, of doing it, but it's by no means yet mainstream. And I think really that's what we're talking about here is the, the augmenting of those uh, traditional prevent-oriented controls uh, to, the, to the more detect and respond analytics, intelligence, big data side of controls. And so that's what we see in, in, in the research. 
Do you think uh, there is a better opportunity for a big data tool provider or solution provider to latch on the security-related insights as part of a bigger tool set, or is it better that a security provider basically infuses or finds a way to adapt, put an adapter to a big data source, and then that way you can make just enhance the existing tool, which would, in your view, would best serve the end goal? Well, I think most um, security companies, I, I, I don't mean to speak for them, but I, I did you know, work in, in that space for many, many years prior to having this role as an analyst. And I think most um, vendors would, would uh, take the approach of making their solution as, as, uh, as applicable to as wide a, a market as they could. Uh, at the same time, they want to have focus. So I, I've seen examples in both ways. I've seen examples of vendors who, who have a, a, a generic platform and, and market it as such and, and, uh, and, and, um, I have seen others who have taken an approach where they maybe started out focusing on security and, and they've uh, subsequently said, you know what, we need to broaden our, our focus um, to include other things. So take that retail example. You can use things like video surveillance and video analytics to do things like uh, protect the, the store, or you can use the analytics to do things like say, hey, I, I can see that there's a queue forming here and the lines are too long. We better open up some new registers to improve our level of service. So. Uh, there's some examples where it's been used in a traditional security uh, um, uh, application, and, and, and it's being moved towards um, more of a you know revenue-oriented application. And there's other examples where it's maybe started out being more used uh, for where people want to use it, which we talked about, which is probably more oriented towards revenue. And, and yet uh, vendors identify this wonderful opportunity to say, hey, you can also apply this to security. And so they, they develop their campaigns and partnerships and so on and go to market around that. So I've, I've actually seen both uh, take place. I don't think one's right or wrong. I think both are you know proper for, from the vendor perspective. Now, finally, what advice do you have for organizations and their respective leaders, both, I would say, CIOs and CISOs, to push uh, big data-enabled security? And what do you think is going to be the future? I mean, of course, you don't have a crystal ball, but what do you expect the future to be in terms of the level of threats that we are going to experience and to what degree this big data-related solution or infused big data-infused security solutions will be able to handle? Well, I won't say to end this way, but I, it's it's who I am. So I guess I'll expose myself for the cynic that I, that I can be sometimes. And I'll, I'll mention a recurring uh, topic that I, I like to blog about. It's a this concept of a devil's dictionary or a cynic's dictionary. It's a, a, a guy first wrote it in the 1890s, I think. And I, I sometimes give examples in security. So the definition that I've given and written in a blog already about big data is a, the shorthand term that, that solution providers use to hype an infrastructure that's designed to help enterprises to uh, ingest and store and search and analyze and visualize vast amounts of data, uh, ignoring the fact that most organizations are still struggling to manage the small amounts of data in an effective way. That's my cynical view of big data. But uh, if you set aside any you know jokes, the, the point is that I, I do think it will come, but it's going to take time. And, and you might say that awareness about security and awareness about big data is, is, is at a high. I think I would say that. But the funny thing is we all know about awareness is that doesn't necessarily bring about changes in behavior. So we, we need awareness. It's necessary to bring out change, but it's not sufficient. So, the, you know, any 12-step recovery program would say this is kind of step number one. So it's a, it's a simple point, really, but awareness by management and business leaders about big data doesn't necessarily mean a greater understanding of what you can do with the data, and, and it doesn't mean more thoughtful and deliberate decisions and, and allocation of resources. 
and, and greater awareness by end users and the training and exposure that we might get doesn't necessarily mean any change at all in our behavior. So it's, it's a first step. My, my sense is that the, the heightened level of awareness is a, is a great thing. We should celebrate that. We should take advantage of it. But if we're going to be real here, we should recognize that this, uh, you know, we're conscious but we're not yet competent is, is an important uh, uh, step. It's, a, a, you know, some of the earliest steps on the journey towards this ultimate goal. It, it's like anything. It's one step at a time. So that, that would be my, my view. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you, Derek, for sharing your thoughts on how organizations can build a better security, better and stronger security, leveraging big data. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad to you know, contribute something to your discussion. Thanks so much. Thanks again. And uh, listeners, hope you got something out of this conversation. Hope you'll be able to f- uh, further secure your fort leveraging big data and, and get some tips from this uh, discussion here. Uh, please like us on Facebook, uh, search for CIO Talk Radio, and please be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Please join Sun Joke All next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Eastern Time for another hour of CIO Talk Radio on the Voice America Business Channel. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid.